again. It's Corey. I'm back. I'm your host for the Spiritual Prepper's Guide to the End of the World as We Know It. Today I'm talking about a couple of practices that I use, have used. It's nothing formal. These aren't like formal practices, like, you know, like a yogic practice or whatever. This isn't a self-help book. But stuff that I've thought about that has come up for me over the years that I found to be helpful, especially in times of great uncertainty, which is where we're at right now, if we're willing to admit it. Anyway, the first practice, I don't like that word, so maybe just fill in your own. I was reminded of recently while I was watching some footage of um, out in the bush. They, they do these game drives, trackers, trailers, rangers, and they were observing some impala and the ungulates, <laughs> the hoofed creatures, are considered usually considered prey prey animals right they're they're the food <laughs> for the predators um not always so cut and dry as that <laughs> there's these stories about buffalo <laughs> oh my god buffalo oh people don't even know they don't even know they have these ridiculous oh, limited small pathetic stories about wilderness, about nature, and I've been enjoying reading. It's it's heavy, it's dense, it's like an academic book. I, I, I'm going on a tangent here. I had a dream where one of my ancestors gave me this book to read, so when that happens, I read the book, because it's important. But it's like this 900-page history book, and it starts with early hominid evolution. It's it's kind of like evolutionary biology. But for for the whole region for the, for the whole continent. Um and so I used to really be into evolutionary biology some years ago, years like a decade or so ago. And it wasn't that I thought that I could go to school to be an evolutionary biologist. I just was so like yeah, I had the Jane Goodall fangirl crush and Diane Fossey was into that kind of a thing. But it wasn't like I was going to go to school again. To be professional, I just wanted to immerse myself in it. And so I did. And then the spiritual stuff really started happening, picking up. And suddenly it just wasn't as cool and it's not a spiritual thing and you're too much in your head and you're learning too much and that's not allowed. And so then I wasn't going to fit in with that and I really wanted to fit in with that and being told and and the messages were just so, don't, (laughs) don't go the science route. And then in the science route, they were like, oh my God, spirituality is the lamest lame that ever lamed. Anyway. Maybe somebody listening to this will understand the frustration with that because it's ridiculous and it's completely unnecessary. And it's really childish. So 
I left off from that stuff until the last year or so really getting into it again because my ancestors are asking me to. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So I've been really into that stuff. And spiritually speaking and scientifically speaking, both and animals are teachers. It's, it's not even, for me, it's not even up for debate. And my dog is is uh, lying here right now, biting her butt. I don't know how much of a teacher she's being. She's awfully cute. But animals are teachers, and we have some pretty warped, misinformed, only partially true ideas of humans and our species and the history. And anyway, so I've been getting into that again. One thing that we learned in my tracking class was that it's the ungulates, what are considered prey animals, meat on a stick, right? We tend to think that have the most evolved, the most adapted feet, hoofs, and are the most adapted at movement. And primates, including humans, have the least adapted, the most primitive feet and locomotion. Not efficient at all. Anyway, I know I'm being kind of like a brown nose snarky here, but this shit just toasts my muffins a little bit from time to time. I'm good. It's okay. But it's absurd. So, I was watching this game drive, and the ranger was saying, she was saying, um, Impala, they have to be so alert all the time. They're so alert. They're so aware of their surroundings. There's, they're constantly super aware. And, and the only way that, that mammals can eat and digest their food properly and absorb nutrition as well as other important functions like breeding and having babies and raising babies it's essential that at the same time they also be profoundly relaxed so we're talking about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and that's a topic that's gotten more popular in the mainstream the last I don't know how long but it's really fascinating it fascinated me a while back, some years ago, when I was doing, working with trauma-informed therapy model. And um, I'll talk about that a little later. But prey animals, including the ones like um, the rodents, rabbits, mice, and whatnot, they have to be aware and alert and to accomplish all their functions they also have to be profoundly relaxed and I learned about that in my Tantra yoga class a couple of few years ago it was one of the biggest lessons in the class 
was focusing on this, what seems to be paradoxical. Like you can either be super aware, hypervigilant, or really, really relaxed. But the ideal state of being for a yogi or spiritual seeker is the both and where you're so aware and very, very chill. How is that possible? How did, how do you do that? Like, how does that work? And rather than always being in a class or in a book, listening to a teacher, wonderful to do. I, I really, <laughs> this isn't just a cringe thing to say. Nature is, is teaching all of this in ways that we can't teach each other. We can't even come close to what's, you know, outside, just there, to be watched and observed. And what I found is with observing, you really gotta let go of ego. If you show up in nature going, okay, someone said that animals can be, these prey animals can be teachers for me. And in, in certain times, they can really show me how to be in, in a way that um, that's pretty great. And you get out there and you have all the stories. You have all the narratives that have become so ingrained in our culture as absolute truth. It just doesn't work. You can't see. You can't hear. That stuff, it just, it's a heavy, it's heavy layers. So you have to be able to shed some of them and not everyone is going to want to or be able to. The one thing that has always stood out to me over the years, being aware of trauma and sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system states, is for myself how easy it is for me to get frozen. The freezing, the freezing isn't good. Um, we talk about fight, flight. Sometimes people bring in the, the fawning and the freezing as a couple of the other ways that we can respond to fear, aggression, uncertainty, whatever. Um, but for me, it's the freezing. It's the laying in bed and getting caught up in the story of how scary and uncertain things are. And then I just get more and more frozen, like my body actually gets cold. And then I can't like move my limbs. This is something else that these these animals are showing. While sometimes they do freeze as, as a way to respond to a threat, they're really moving a lot. They stay moving. And it doesn't even have to be movement that accomplishes a goal or does something. They're just moving. And that's something that I, I have to, like, it can be forcing myself to stay moving. It, it, it has been in the past more so. To get up and get out of the frozen and keep moving. Even if it's, you know, just to go look at a, some grass or whatever. Just stay moving. So there's that practice. And then the other thing that came up that I always really liked. This has stuck with me for years now. While I was in the trauma-informed therapy stuff, the focus was on what are the actual physical impacts of trauma in female bodies? And I know I can hear the, the brands showing up with their criticism. 
they're is- taking issue with things like that and how cringy it is and just going all apoplectic about why that's wrong and blah 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 and, and I was like maybe you know maybe I won't try to debate or respond right here in this recording with why that's not the case why why it's not lame I think I'm just gonna let that go for today and really force myself <laughs> to let it go and be okay with it but in that therapy model I was working with a therapist and also, I guess you could call, yeah, it was, it was like, it was, there was some coaching element to it. And one little exercise that came up, it wasn't even a big one, but it was all about body image and the ways that trauma, complex trauma, conditioning all blend up together for women in North America, America, Western society, whatever. And how bound up and restrained and controlling and fearful we are around stuff like body image and appearance. And they asked this question, they said, um, especially for the women who focus so hard and so long on exercise, body fixing, makeup, skincare, all the things, what what we usually call (laughs) self-care, can become like self-torture care. (laughs) Um, If no one ever saw you again, if no one ever looked at your physical appearance ever again, if there was never any kind of reaction response to your physical appearance ever again, would you still spend all that time and energy on fixing your appearance? If no one ever saw you, if there was never any result, if there was never any goal achieved, if it never did anything for you, would you still do that work? I really like to apply that to everything now. Because as things continue to be more uncertain, and they will, certain goals that we are very attached to, certain outcomes and results that we are so attached to as being central to our sense of identity and self will continue to be challenged. And that's really, really difficult. That's really hard. But it's going to happen. And so... I think making a practice of letting go of the importance of results, of goals achieved, becomes central to just maintaining sanity and well-being in increasingly uncertain times. So letting go, letting go of the attachment to an outcome. And what I really like to do is ask myself, if I never had a result, for this thing I'm doing. If there was never any kind of outcome, goal achieved, whatever, and you can run through this long list of like, if no one ever paid me for it, if no one ever hired me for it, if no one ever noticed, recognized, acknowledged, gave me credit for it, and on and on, you get the point. 
would I still be doing this? Would I still be doing this, whatever it is I'm doing? It can be a really good litmus test if we're being really honest with ourselves. Gotta be like okay with being brutally honest with yourself. And so I feel like making hay while the sun is still shining. For, for some of us, that's not the case for everyone. But if things are still pretty okay and you're still, you still have some privileges, um, it's worthwhile to have a practice of having no attachment to a goal, to an outcome. A really great structured, methodical system that someone can look that look at to go deeper into that would be karma yoga in Vedanta. Um, that is a, that's a that's a good way to be more clear on that kind of a thing. Um, just the basic concept of selfless service. Um, we can talk about being in alignment. If you're in alignment with your original organic flavor that you were born as and all the, the, the gifts and skills and abilities that come with that, um, then that in and of itself is, is so fulfilling that, that outcomes and results aren't important. There's just a whole world there that opens up. When I was reading and seeing content online about manifestation, Sometimes people would, and maybe even I did, yeah, I'm sure I did, or maybe I was writing, writing content along those lines, where it was suggested that if you're able to let go of outcomes and results and feel fulfilled in the moment, regardless of what you get or don't get, um, that freedom from attachment is what will manifest the thing that you desire. That's a really tricky ego shenanigan. <laughs> it's a great way to stay stuck. I think that the only way that anything like that ever works is if it's freedom for freedom's sake. That you are longing and desiring to be free just because being free is so freeing. There's a lot less suffering that can come, but it's hard work. It's really hard work to let go and be free for just freedom's sake. Um, one more point here that I was thinking of. I used to say a lot when I was being a snarky little pill that ignorance is bliss, that ignorant people are blissful, that if you don't really know what's going on, then you're so lucky. <laughs> That's BS. And here's why, from my perspective. This is just in my own experience. Most, if not all, animals are aware in their bodies of when things aren't right. When it comes to people, we have a lot going on mentally <clears throat> that we can stay focused on and stuck in and really seem like there's ignorance going on there. It can really seem like we don't really know what's going on, but our bodies, our animal bodies are very aware. There's still an awareness going on, whether the thinking mind is a part of it or not. There's still awareness happening. So it might not be the standard accepted form of awareness, 
mental thinking. But your body is aware that things aren't right. What I found is that when there's kind of two groups that that very generally speaking happen. You can have the group of people that are anxious because they are aware that things aren't right. And they acknowledge that they're anxious mentally. And then there's the other group that is anxious and won't acknowledge mentally that they are about how things are. In the group of people that are aware of their awareness, (laughs) they're aware that they're anxious and they can admit it and talk about it and own it, a couple of things will happen. Those anxious people who are aware that they're anxious, some of them won't do anything about it. They'll just be frozen. And some of them will do something about it. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there was a point to that. Just, you know, figure it out for yourself, I guess. Look at it, see it, feel into it. So, those are just a couple of the things that I do when uncertainty seems to be a bit bigger and more powerful. Okay, thank you for listening. As always, please be well. Stay well. Bye!